you have your Bible here this morning, will you turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel? We're going to be taking a break from our Lies About God series today to return to our study of the life of David. We're in 1 Samuel 27. The title of my message here this morning is A Detour to Disaster. I read recently of the story of a man named Gary Meeks. He was a contractor from Dallas, Texas, and also an amateur pilot. On Christmas Eve, Gary, along with his wife, two sons, and friend, boarded a small six-seat Cherokee airplane. Gary was taking his family to Aspen, Colorado, for a long-anticipated skiing vacation. But as they flew into the Rocky Mountains, the weather turned from bad to worse. Snowfall turned to near whiteout conditions. Visibility was near zero. Gary Meeks detoured his flight path to try and get out of the blizzard, but to no avail. The airplane crashed into the snow-covered Mount Yale, one of Colorado's highest peaks at 11,600 feet. The snowpack cushioned their impact, and amazingly, all five on board survived the crash. But what was supposed to be a happy holiday took a detour into disaster. The family was now fighting for survival in a harsh wilderness. With few provisions and plummeting temperatures, the hope of being rescued before hypothermia set in was bleak. Gary Meeks wrote of his initial shock this way. He said, quote, I don't remember the crash. All I know is that my shoulder was separated and I was in tremendous pain. As I looked into the fearful faces of my family, they were shivering in that cramped cabin. Dad, are we going to die here? One of my sons asked. There's nothing more helpless than to sit and wait to be rescued, he said. And at that point in my life, I wasn't much of a praying man, but I said, God, if you are there... We need you. We'll find out what happened to Gary Meeks and his family, but I begin with that story because it is an example of a detour into disaster. Maybe you can relate. At some point in your life, you were driven off course by life's storms. Or maybe you made a sinful choice And you found yourself in a place where you never wanted to be. The only way out of it was a divine intervention. Now, detours usually aren't planned for. Sometimes we are forced in them because of forces outside of our control, as in the case of Paul and his shipwreck. You remember in Acts chapter 27, where Paul is shipwrecked on his way to Rome and he has to stay there in the island of Malta. Sometimes God providentially reroutes our path, as in the case of Joseph. You remember, he was sent on a detour from the pasture to the pit, and then to the prison, and the palace, and then the prime minister. Maybe we foolishly choose to take a detour from the will of God. Abraham did this, early on in his faith walk when he 
went into Egypt to escape a famine in Genesis 12. Of course, the classic example is Jonah who ran from the will of God. He took a detour to Tarshish when he should have gone to Nineveh. And then we think of David here in today's text. David takes a detour into disaster as he finds refuge in enemy territory, a place we will learn named Ziglag. Now, in 1 Samuel 27, David takes a critical misstep into a detour that leads him to disaster. Now, this episode that we are going to study this morning is really tough to read because we see David stumble on his way to the throne. And at the same time as we read this text and study its application, you are going to find it to be instantly relatable because we have all at some point in our lives detoured from the will of God. In this message today, we're going to learn four consequences that happen when we take a detour of disobedience and the lengths to which God is willing to rescue us from ourselves and get us back on the straight and narrow. The number one lesson that we see here today, detours lead to deceptive security. Those two words at the end, deceptive security. That's the first effect of a detour. We'll find our place in 1 Samuel 27. Read with me verse 1. And then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. And I shall escape out of his hand. David's detour began when he succumbed to a spirit of doubt and discouragement and fear. Now remember, our friend David has now been running for about a decade. He's been living a fugitive lifestyle. He's under constant pressure. He's been sleeping in caves and ducking from Saul's bloodhounds as they've been out searching for him. And if you live that way for ten years or more, why that would be enough to wear anybody's faith down to the bare threads. By the way, this is the same David who wrote in Psalm 11, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, I will flee like a bird to the mountain? The same David who wrote that is now here saying, I'm going to go live in enemy territory. He's running. Those are easy words to write in Psalm 11, but tougher to live out when the pressure is turned up in life. The legendary NFL football coach Vince Lombardi used to say that fatigue makes cowards of us all. And if you think back to David, maybe he's reminiscing to that day when he was anointed there in his father's house and the golden oil of of Samuel pours down his face. It seems like so long ago. He's been running for 10 years and yet the promise of God that he would wear the crown has still not yet come to pass. So you can understand a moment of weakness in his life. But rather than stand in faith, David flees in fear to go live behind enemy lines. Notice what happens in verse 2. So David arose and went over and he and 600 men who were with him to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. 
And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man in his household. And David with his two wives, Ahoyanim and Abigail, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. And then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. David has decided that the only way to escape Saul's wrath is now to ally himself with the enemy. That is the Philistines. And David is now looking to King Achish for protection rather than the Lord for his security. By the way, this isn't the first time that David has done something like this. If you'll remember, we studied chapter 21 in 1 Samuel where David went to Gath armed with Goliath's sword. Do you remember that episode? He had to act like a madman in order to leave Gath alive. And now David is repeating the same sin, the same mistake over again. He's taking a detour. Now the Bible doesn't really explain the thinking process behind David in this strange alliance, but perhaps he figures that Achish, uh, he can use that relationship for a benefit. After all, as the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And maybe that's what Achish is thinking as David comes to him with this strange request. And Achish, the Bible says, allows David and 600 of his men to take refuge in a little city named Ziklag. David will rue the day that he made this decision, this confederation with the enemy and this choice to really live in the devil's backyard, if you will. This will be now, the Bible says in verse 7, David's temporary home and his military headquarters for the next 16 months. So David is going to step outside of the will of God and for 16 months, he's going to be on his own. He's going to do his own thing. Make his own decisions. Oh, and friend, he'll look back on this season in his life as one of the worst ever. Now, at first... This seems like a stroke of genius. Because the Bible says that Saul gave up his chase. David can now, for the first time in years, get a good night's sleep. This seems to be a right decision. It has led him into a false security. I mean, think about it. The mood changed within David's camp. The kids can now return to school. The wives can finally unpack the suitcases. Uh, uh, That's because hiding out with the enemy, listen, brings a temporary sense of security. But don't be fooled, my friend. Peace and prosperity are not always a sign that we are in God's will. Lot got rich while living in Sodom, you remember. At first, Jonah's boat ride to Tarshish was so peaceful that he fell asleep and enjoyed it. Samson had a great time laying in the lap of Delilah until the day he woke up and his strength had left him and so did his hair. 
Hebrews 11.25, let me remind you, says that sin is pleasurable, what church? For a season. Sin is a blast that doesn't last. It's like a credit card. You play now, but you pay later. And oh, does that payment, does that bill come with high interest? That's where David's entering into a false sense of security. And I've seen this happen so many times in Christian life, in church life. David is living with this false sense of security. And that's the first place you get to rest when you take a detour out of the will of God. Well, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying like I should. And God hasn't zapped me yet, preacher. I'm not going to church and serving God like I once did. And it seems like my kids are okay. This is the thinking process we enter into when we, we can legitimize the detour as we slink into that false sense of security. I, I quit serving the Lord, preacher. And now look, I'm making more money than ever. These are the traps that we get into. I can manage a drink or a, a smoke here and it won't affect my grades. It won't affect my job performance. Uh, I can look at porn and it won't, my wife won't have to know. It won't impact my marriage. Friend, let me remind you, the proverb says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And friend, we can become so accustomed to living in the darkness that we forget what it's like to walk in the light. David is taking that step out of God's will and into a detour. I read this interesting news headline. Pet boa constrictor strangles owner. Police investigating. Here's the story. Police responded to a call in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. When they entered the home, they found the owner on the ground with an 18-foot boa constrictor wrapped around his neck. An officer shot and killed the snake. Amen. But when the man arrived at the hospital, he was pronounced dead by asphyxiation. The family said the boa had been their pet for several years with no incident. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? Who keeps a deadly animal as a pet? And yet, it's just as foolish to set up camp in the devil's backyard. By the way, I'm not putting down anybody who's ever owned a snake or anything like that. I'm just using it as an example. You can become comfortable living in the enemy's camp. You can become a grown accustomed to making an alliance with the devil. We can do it in our Christian life. David did it. And that first step off of the detour leads us into a sense of false security. Everything's going to be okay. But don't be deceived. The second thing I want you to see here today, number two, detours lead to deeper sin. They lead to deceptive security and they lead to deeper sin. Notice what verse 8 says. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gerashites and the Gerizites and the Amalekites, for those were the inhabitants of the land from old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, 
and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the Jeheramites or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive and bring news to Gath thinking lest they should tell us about us. And so David has done thus and so. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So picture this. While living in Ziklag, the only way that David can now support his army and his families was to go into the other villages and plunder And his special ops would go into these surrounding towns, which the Bible says belonged to tribes that years ago were Israel's enemies when Joshua was alive. But he would raid them and then bring news of what he was doing back to King Asius. Of course, he wasn't telling the truth, was he? When he reported back to King Asius about where he had been and what he had been doing, David lied about it. David wasn't killing his countrymen as he said he was. Instead, he's going out and wiping total settlements off the map. And many of these people were neutral. And since David, the Bible says, left no survivors, there's nobody there who could tell a different story to get back to the years of the king. I love when you, you open this passage and you read about David's response when King Asius verse 10 asked where have you made a raid today notice how vague David's answer is oh I've I've made a against the Negev of of Judah or against the Negev of the Jerahilamites not interesting how vague David's answer was that reminds me of the way that we might answer someone when we're out of the will of God not been to church, not been praying, not been reading your Bible, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Hey, it's Pastor Derek. I'm here just to visit you. I hadn't seen you in a while. How you been doing? Oh, <coughs> Pastor. Huh? Answers get real vague. Or you see somebody, you stumble against them in the grocery store. Hadn't seen you at church in a while. What you been doing? Oh, you know, we, we've been doing Okay. And you just skirt around the issue. As the questions come, things can get real vague. When you've taken a detour from the will of God, honesty isn't up at the top of your priority list, is it? We can come up with a quick cover story that doesn't really reveal where our hearts at or how far we really are from God. Think of the double life that David has now adopted. On the inside, he's an Israelite. But on the outside, he's acting like a pagan Philistine. He's supposed to be a man after God's own heart, and yet he's living like a gangster from the Sicilian Mafia. He's spilling blood. He's lying. He's covering it up like he has no conscience. David, what has happened to you, dude? Oh, he took a detour, just like you and I do. We get in that sense of false security. I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out. And yet, you get deeper in sin and deeper in sin. Pretty soon, you don't even remember how to get your way back 
to where you used to be with the Lord. Bible teacher Jerry Vines makes this vital point. He says this, quote, The key to the 16-month slump in David's life is there's no mention of God in it. David's voice is silent when it comes to singing songs. There's no evidence of worship or prayer. Israel's poet prince hangs his harp. David's life at this low point, he says, is like many Christians living in compromised places. When we detour from God's will, first we get comfortable in the world, and then we start thinking and acting like the world. At this point, David reminds me of an old black and white movie that I saw years ago called A Southern Yankee. It has the comedian Red Skelton in it. And in the movie, he plays a soldier during the Civil War. Well, in the movie, Red Skelton has to decide who he's going to fight with. Is he going to fight with the Union? Or is he going to fight with the South, with the Confederates? And remember, during the Civil War, that the Union Army wore navy blue... And the Confederates wore gray. Well, Red's character thinks, well, I don't have to make a decision. I can just be neutral. And so he comes up with the idea of stitching two uniforms together, half gray and half blue. And then he takes half of an American flag and half of a Confederate flag. And he sews those together. And then he shows up for the first battle that he's supposed to be in. And he gets shot by both sides. (laughs) Here's the point. David is in a situation where he's, he's having an identity crisis. Are you going to be God's man? Are you going to be Israel's king? Are you going to walk in truth and righteousness, David? Or are you going to try and live in deception and out of the will of God and by your own strength and your own decision making? David, you can't have it both ways. You can't be your own man and be God's man. You can't straddle the fence. David, you need to make a decision about who you want to serve. And that's my message today to some of us. Some of us, we need to decide who we're living for. Because as I look out on the church and the culture today, there's a huge identity crisis. People don't know who they should be. In fact, we've gotten so lost to the point now where we've got people believing in their own mind that they can create their own reality and they can decide against their biology to be something that they're not. That's an identity crisis. There's an identity crisis in the church today where the church thinks I can fly the gay flag and fly the Christian flag and be on both sides. There's a crisis in the church today where they say, well, we can preach social justice and also preach the gospel. Friend, that's oil and water. Uh, There's an identity crisis in the church today where some say we can sound cool and be trendy and win the approval of the world without holiness. And friend, we need to decide today in the church how we're going to live. What side are we really on? Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 when He assessed the lukewarm church He said, because you're not hot or because you're not cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Friends, some of us are in an identity crisis today. We we haven't yet made a full break from the world and the thinking of the world and the ways of the world. And we're trying like David 
to negotiate the two. And I'm adjuring you today, imploring you today, hey, come down off the fence. Stop living in enemy territory. We need to decide today, are we going to be compromised by sin? Are we going to be friendly with the enemy and adopt the ways of the world and live a halfway life? Christian author A.W. Tozer said this. He said, quote, One compromise here, another there, and soon enough the so-called Christian and the man in the world look the same. Isn't that the problem with the church today? You can't tell the difference between the way the world lives, thinks, and operates, and some of the stuff that we see passes today as Christianity. David is in a detour. He's living under the fog of a false security. He's also growing deeper and deeper in sin. He's committing murder. He's wiping towns off the map. He's lying about what he's doing. And then number three, detours lead to dilemma situations. Pretty soon, if you're a child of God and you're living that way, God's going to put you in a pinch where you have to decide. Notice what happens in this dilemma situation. Skip on over to chapter 29. The Bible says that the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines says, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. The king's trying to cover for David. Verse 4, But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back. He says that they may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us into battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be the heads of of the men here? Is this not the David of whom they sang in one of their dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives... You have been honest and to me. Yeah, right. He doesn't know how much David's been lying to him. It seems right that you should march out and end with me in campaign, for I found nothing wrong in you from the days of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David is put in a dilemma situation. The day finally arrives when his deceptive plan begins to unravel. It happened as they were going out to battle. The Philistines are actually gathering to fight against Saul's army. And David can no longer ride the fence anymore. In fact, we read the dialogue there. The lords of the Philistines say, Hey, what is this guy doing here? And the king tries to cover for him. And the lords of the Philistines reject David. Hey, don't you remember who this guy was? He killed our champion, Goliath. There's no way we can trust him in battle. Send him away, king. And so David has to go back to Ziglag. 
What a catch-22. Think about David's situation here. If he turns against the Philistines, he'll be trapped behind enemy lines. He'll be outnumbered and overwhelmed. But then if he fights with the Philistines, he's going to go into combat against the people whom he's supposed to be king over one day. He'll be labeled a, a, a traitor forever in Israel. By the way, this is the same battle in which Saul and Jonathan will both die. And David's about to go in and fight against them. Now providentially, we can see the hand of God working in this. In David's sin, the Philistines' armies will not allow themselves with David because they cannot forget his victory over Goliath. This is the best thing that's happened to David in 16 months since he's been living in Ziglag. And God's grace is working behind the scenes. And God saves David from a lose-lose situation. Friend, that's called grace. And David's biggest enemy in this whole episode isn't Saul, isn't Achish. David's biggest enemy is David. And that's true of me. When I wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror, the reason why I fail is me. I beat myself. I fail. I detour from God's will. And so do you. And God has to step in and rescue David from himself. How many times has God had to bail you out of a situation, out of a mess, That you created. Oh, but you can look back on it now and say, Thank you, God, that didn't work out the way that I thought it should. But God put you in a dilemma situation and then saved you. Notice the comment of the Philistines. Oh, I love it. What are these Hebrews doing here? They don't fit. We're supposed to be fighting against this fella. Why is he even here? It's a sad thing when a man after God's own heart has to be rebuked and called out by the pagans. And friend, I I know some preachers and I know some churches that are going to be called out one day for compromising. Oh God, may it not be Liberty Baptist Church or this preacher... But how similar is this scene to the sailors who roused Jonah to awaken during the, his nap in the storm and say, wake up, the ship's going down. Jonah, pray to your God. The pagans called the preacher to pray. Think of, think of Peter as he's warming his hands by that campfire and the trial of Jesus is going on just in the distance and that little girl says, Hey, aren't you? Did, didn't you follow him? You're a Galilean, aren't you? And what does he say? I don't know what you're talking about. Called out by the world. There's nothing more painful in a Christian life than when a lost person calls you out. Hey, I thought you believed the Bible. Hey, I thought you loved Jesus. Hey, I thought. You are committed. And you've so compromised yourself to where, what do you say? You just have to eat it, don't you? The question is such a zinger. Why are these Hebrews here? 
Let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit ever done that to you? A wake-up call that God zings into your heart? Has the Holy Spirit ever turn up the temperature when you're in a moment of temptation or, or just before you're about to cross the threshold over a point of no return and the Holy Spirit says, Hey! What are you doing here, man? That's the Holy Spirit of God. What are you doing drinking at this bar? What are you doing on this website? Why are you here with this person that's not your spouse? What are you doing here hanging out with this crowd? What are you doing here when you should be at the house of God? Did the Holy Spirit ever do that to you? Why are you here? Mm. Years ago, there was a preacher named Maze Jackson. Remember Maze Jackson, Brother Stan? People tell me I'm hellfire and brimstone. I don't hold a candle to that brother. Maze Jackson used to tell a story about a preacher friend of his. A preacher friend of his that got out of the will of God. This pastor was doing well in his church. But all of a sudden things began to change in his life. He no longer had a love for the Lord. No longer had a burden for the ministry. And he up and quit his pastorate. Took a job in the world. There was some questions there. And Maze Jackson went to him and said, Friend, what are you doing? Why are you stepping out of the calling of God and the will of God for your life? He, he wouldn't hear of it. This preacher said, leave me alone. I'm done with the church. I've had enough. Just don't bother me. And Maze Jackson used to have this famous sermon that he would preach called, God will set your fields on fire. He must have preached it a dozen thousand times. But he turned to this man he said, you better get right or God's going to set your fields on fire. Here's what happened to that preacher. Took a job in the world. Left the church. Was making more money than he'd ever made in his life. Bought a new house. Bought a new truck. Set his family up. Was living a great life. One Sunday morning, his little boy came up to him. He was sitting on the front, front porch reading the newspaper. Tells you how long ago the story was. But this little boy came up to his daddy. He said, Daddy, when are we going to go back to church? Rebuked by his own son. This preacher, this backslid preacher said, Don't bother me, son. I've given you so much. Why can't you just be happy? Go and play. Mays Jackson said that that little boy took his football he was walking across the yard and he threw his football up and it came down. Threw his football up and it took a weird bounce. That ball bounced out into the road. That little boy, not thinking, ran after his ball. About that time, a big old truck. Maze Jackson said the preacher could hear the screams and the cries from his front porch. He ran across the yard, found his little boy on the pavement. He picked up his lifeless limp body of his boy and as he was walking across the yard he said God I'm listening now I'm listening now oh friend 
What does God have to do to get you to listen now? If you're on that detour, if you're lost and you don't know Christ today, what does God have to do to get your attention? To turn to Him. Fourth thing with David. David's detour led to a disastrous setback. A deceptive security, deeper sin, a dilemma situation, a disastrous setback. Notice what happens, chapter 30, verse 1. And when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a rage against the Negev and against Ziglag. And they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. David's popularity has hit rock bottom. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Notice how far David's detour has brought him. And God didn't have David's full undivided attention until he arrived back at home base there at Ziklag. Picture this, if you will. David is riding his horse with his 600 men behind him. They are cresting the hill. And as they get to the place where they can see Ziglag up on the high place, they see the smoke rising. And they get there and they find their families are gone. The enemy has come and pillaged them. And now he is reaping what he has sowed. This is David's God. I'm listening now moment. God, I'm, I'm listening now. For 16 months, I haven't had anything to do with you. Oh, but God, I'm listening now. What a reminder to us. Listen to me. If you're a child of God, God will not let you sin successfully. Amen. He's a God of discipline. He will take you to the woodshed. Amen? This is not popular, I know. But this is the Word of God that we need to hear today. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, A stranded ship, an eagle with a broken wing, a garden covered with weeds, a harp without strings, a church in ruins. All of these are sad sights, but a backslider is sadder sight still. You know who the most miserable person in the world is? Not a sinner. Living in ignorance of God and the gospel. The most miserable person in the world is a backslidden believer who knows the truth of the word of God, knows the joy of his salvation, but has chose to take a detour from that. For 16 months, David has now operated totally in the flesh. He has not consulted God once. We don't read of him singing. We don't read of him praying. The Psalms have dried up to him. And now his home is burned. His family is taken. His men are on the verge of mutiny. And when you reach rock bottom, friend, it's convenient. There's only one place to look. It's up. The 
question we all have to ask ourselves today, if this applies to us, where's the bottom? For the first time since this whole detour began, the Bible says that David turns to the Lord. He encourages himself in the Lord. There was nobody else he could go to except God. And when God is all you have, you learn that God is all you need. This is the same David who would later write in Psalm 119 and verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Oh, that's been me before. Wayward and hard-hearted and strong-willed and stubborn and prideful. And God had to burn my house down to get me to realize, Hey, this ain't about you, man. Come back home. C.S. Lewis is right. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but He shouts at us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world as Ziglag lay in ruins. David now can take the cotton ball out of his ears and say, God, I'm listening. What's next? If you're lost today, God loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He loves you with an unfathomable love. He didn't stay dead. He got up out of the grave in power and victory. He offers you eternal life, forgiveness, mercy, grace, a second chance. You can have that today. If you're on that detour that I talked about, if you know that you've stepped outside of God's will, God is saying, are you listening now? You can come back. You can return. You can, church, repent. He's a God of grace. Remember Gary Meeks? The man whose plane crashed into the mountain. The detour that caused him and his family to wreck Snowed in, trying not to freeze to death. Gary, who is not a spiritual man, offers up a foxhole prayer. And God graciously responded. Sometimes that's all we have, isn't it? A foxhole prayer. Turns out, his friend who was on the plane with them had recently become a Christian. He packed a Bible in his suitcase And during the long hours in the cold, they pulled the Bible out and passed it around and read passages. Gary wrote, It's ironic that I had to be taken to the middle of nowhere where all my resources were stripped before I was willing to hear from God. But I had never been so thrilled to see a Bible in my life. It was so cold and hope so hard to find. But there was power in that book. How real God became to me in my desperation. I will not forget the words of Psalm 22. O Lord, my God, I cry by day and thou dost not answer me. And by night I find no rest. Yet in thee, O Father, have I trusted. And thou didst deliver them. In the cabin of that frozen cockpit, Gary Meeks had a simple prayer. Lord, I trust you. Five days after their crash, they heard a strange noise. It came over the mountain and they spotted it. It was a rescue 
helicopter. Every member of Gary's family was rescued from the mountain. And it was through that desperate detour experience that real faith was born in this man's heart. And his whole family believed. And the worst thing became the best thing. Oh my God, if I could just preach for a minute. Oh, you can look at the ruins of your life. Your, your zigzag is burnt down. There's nothing but ash and trash and rubble. And oh God, look at what the sinful choices I have made. Look at what it's done to my family and my, my life. Oh God, it's a wreck. And God says, give me the broken pieces. Give me the ashes. Give me the worst thing. And I'll redeem it and make it into the best thing. Oh, David had to reach the end. But at the end, he found God. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Oh, David, a detour. And yet God said, the light's still on. You can come back home. As I read this story, you know what? I've come to the conclusion. David was a king. But we need a better king, don't we? And there is a greater king. He would come, Jesus Christ. He never lied. He never manipulated. He never took a detour from the Father's will. He always pleased His Father. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He died on that cross for you and me. And you can give Him the rubble of your zigzag, And He'll say, by my grace, you can be healed. God wasn't done with David. But David had to learn something that day. What about you? Are you in that situation today? God can bring you back from a zigzag. God can redirect you from that detour. As presence coming in, our musicians are making their way today. Has God spoken to you in that? Oh, friend, the best thing you could do would be to stop running. Take the cotton balls out of you and say, Lord, I'm yours. And see what God can do with the broken wreckage of your life.